From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serra. Well, thanks for inviting me into your home. Long-haul truck, RV, camper, taxi. Your parents' well-appointed rec room with the simulated wood paneling, electric fireplace, and the painting of dogs playing poker. Your loft, that greasy spoon just off the interstate, and your cabin in the woods. Dennis Combites stays with us from Robots.Education. Just a quick note, if you haven't already done so, please check out the website for this program. It's really the portal to all of my projects, The Conspiracy Show, my podcast, Conspiracy Unlimited, this YouTube channel. All of that can be accessed through the website, strangeplanet.ca, strangeplanet.ca. There's also an events and appearances page and uh, a contact page where you can reach out to me. Also, uh, a list of affiliates you'll find there if uh, you're wondering where else you can listen to the program. And uh, while you're at strangeplanet.ca, just take a moment and register for my free monthly newsletter, Inner Sanctum. All I need is your email. It just takes but a second. Again, it's a free monthly newsletter, and it's delivered right to your email inbox every month. So again, register at strangeplanet.ca. So Dennis, before we start talking about some solutions, let's begin this hour with some positive news here. I talked about my perception of you know robots and artificial intelligence is informed by the Terminator franchise of movies, which is kind of the robot apocalypse and the singularity you mentioned, that sort of thing. But make the case for robots and artificial intelligence. Paint me a, a rosy picture of what life might be like through the uh, the advent of robotics and artificial intelligence. The first thing is that we will go further, go smaller. We will obviously invent incredible new things. There's a lot of concern over the environment right now. If we're going to fix the environment, uh, that's going to come from technology. We're going to get massively smarter over the next 10 years, and we're going to start to see some biotechnology, which will be potentially, on one hand, frightening, but we're going to see some things that are significantly life-changing for people that are you know, suffering from Alzheimer's or you know, a range of different ailments. And I believe that through the use of artificial intelligence, we will solve a lot of our medical issues as well. I think back to a a test, and my numbers are potentially going to be a little bit out here, but it was something to the effect of a robot operating artificial intelligence did 623 experiments on different components for a solar panel. It went through and it did a bunch of tests and said, okay, these ones seem to be the most promising, and then it went and it did a bunch more and it did a bunch more. And it improved the efficiency of the solar panels by 10 or 12% over the span of a weekend. And we're going to start to see some things like that. So there's a lot to be excited about. We're going to understand, you know, we'll go deeper into the ocean, deeper into volcanoes, further into space, inside the human body. We're going to do incredible things. You can get robotic prosthetics now, which you can control largely with your mind, and that your mind can understand, like if you've got a robotic foot, if you're stepping on a pebble or something like that, you get that feedback now. Now, for people that have suffered amputations and stuff, that's huge. So there's a lot of incredible things that are going to come, but at the same time, there's a flip side of that coin, and that coin is going to be the marginalization of many people out there if we don't start to change the way we're educating our kids, and if people who are 
in careers that are in the crossfires, you know, they need to start upgrading their skills right now. We've got time still. That's the good news about this. These changes are not right around the corner. We have time. And interestingly, COVID presents a bit of an opportunity for some people if they're, you know, underemployed right now. If you're normally getting 40 hours and you're getting 20 only now at your job, that's a great opportunity for you to to spend that time investing in yourself. If we sit there and we wait for good things to happen to us, this is not the time for that. And those good things aren't going to happen on their own, but people right now need to be looking at the future and understanding what's going to change about their careers and then starting to pivot now while there's still time. And there is time. We just have to move now. So many of us, you know, someone my age, thinking how, you know, the learning curve would just be insurmountable. We're talking, you know, robots and programming and coding. I mean, that's just beyond my capacity. Assuage my fears. Okay. So I've trained hundreds of teachers to teach robotics. I would say 95% of those teachers had no prior robotics or coding experience. Robotics isn't what people think it is anymore, right? Like, it, I mean, it's, it's kind of like computers back in the 70s or 80s. It used to be very hard to program. Not many people could do it. And now we all Punch use computers cards. all day long. Okay, right. Exactly. And, and so it used to be very, very difficult, but there's software out there now that makes programming robots and learning robotics and coding quite easy. So I've, you know, I mentioned earlier that I've uh, taught robotics to thousands of kids. I've, I've done demonstrations for more than 18,000 children. And in 45 minutes, with a group of grade four students with the software that we use to teach, I can get those students to program a robot, a humanoid robot, to wave, to talk. They'll record their voice and have it come out the robot. Then I'll get them to give the robot a name, and they'll communicate with it verbally to get it to wave. They'll have the robot tracking color and recognizing a student, and they will do that all in 45 minutes. Now, at the end of that hour or 45-minute period, they're not really going to know a lot about what they've done, but the fact that they could execute that in that speed points to the simplicity. And, and more than that, what I love to do is they're working with a robot that is about a foot high. It's an easy robot, which is EZ-robot. And they program it, and all the way through the presentation, I've got the software up on the screen behind me so they can all see what we're doing. So a student programs the robot to wave. And I say to all the, you know, all the other kids, okay, who could do that? Everybody puts their hand up. So at the end of 45 minutes, I have all of the kids understanding they could program this little humanoid robot. And then I'll show them a video of a life-sized humanoid robot. And, you know, it's an in-move robot. And it looks very uh, intimidating. It looks like the robot off of iRobot. So I'll say to the kids, and if they're older, I'll say, okay, who here, you know, you've all said you could program this little one. Who could program this big one? And almost nobody thinks they could. But this particular in-move robot is programmed using the exact same hardware and software as the little guy they were using. So I'll say to the kids, okay, let's look at what the robot's doing. He's moving servos. Did you program your robot to move servos? You did. All of you could do that. This robot uses the exact same hardware and software. And the robot's talking. It's got a built-in camera. It's seeing. It's recognizing things. It's understanding. And, you know, in two minutes, the kids go from feeling like, okay, I could program a toy to looking at this big robot and go, I could program a life-sized humanoid robot. And the difference in how they view themselves in that moment is incredible. 
we're teaching robotics and we're teaching coding, but the biggest impact we're having is we're changing the way children view themselves and allowing them to, to visualize themselves in a high-tech world. And now imagine if we do that in a school and all the fifth graders and sixth graders feel like they could program robots. How does that change the courses they take in middle school or, or junior high? How does that change what they take in high school? How does it change the careers they go into? We're totally redefining what the future looks like for those kids, and we can do that in 45 minutes, and we do it all day long, and it's super easy, and we make that available to schools for free. There are solutions out there. The schools just don't know that those solutions are there, and they're not looking for them because they don't understand the scope of challenge that we're facing. You know, what's interesting is a lot of schools now, and 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 parents, myself included, are looking for high schools for their kids that offer STEM programs, science, technology, engineering, mathematics. Uh, one would assume that as part of these STEM programs, there would already be robotics and coding. So if if it's not already in STEM, you know, where are we going to find it? Okay. And, and so this is, this is important. It is in STEM to a degree. Some schools that are teaching, you know, that are STEM-centric still don't have a lot of robotics courses, but it's coming. But here's, the, here's an important thing. If you're, you know, kind of what you've described is the concept of a, a STEM magnet school. And this is, to me, one of the, one of the real um, misconceptions within education or the real dangers. So if we've got a STEM magnet school and you send your child to a STEM school, Presumably that's because your child does well in science and is interested in that. They're engineering-minded, technical-minded. So you're sending them to a STEM school to go off on, on into their incredible future. And that's awesome. And, and those schools are moving in this direction. But just stepping back for a second and looking at this societally, if we have STEM magnet schools, the, the opposite of that is what's happening in the other schools that are not STEM magnet schools. Because if districts are putting a huge amount of resources into their STEM schools, that means the other schools are getting you know, less because there's a limited number of dollars to go around. And just think for a second, all of the jobs that robotics and artificial intelligence is going to replace first, you know, retail, food services, transportation, manufacturing, those are not the kids that are typically going into STEM education. They're not going off to university you know, to, to go be engineers. Those are the kids that need the STEM education the most, and they're the ones that get it the least. And even in schools where we have robotics courses and stuff, we teach it like it's an engineering course, which only appeals to engineering-minded kids. And, you know, this is an important distinction. I am not, I'm not, you know, trying to throw shade at educators that are teaching robotics. God bless them. They're doing a, a critically important thing. And, and by and large, they're doing a really great job, but they're doing a great job for 2% of the kids or 3% of the kids, 5%, 15%. And they're doing it for the kids that are the most engineering-minded. And, you know, we want to lift those kids up as high as we can, but those kids were already going to go off to university to be great, you know, and be engineers and, you know, leaders anyways. What we have to do societally is understand that we have to, we have to really find a way to reach the kids that are not... STEM-centric. They're not engineering-minded. Those kids need this education every bit as much or more than the kids that are going to the STEM magnet school. And the way that we're teaching robotics, by and large, isn't reaching them. Now, now we can, because we're hitting 90% of kids at the middle school level, 
but we're, we do things differently than what schools are typically doing. Uh, I want to come back to the uh, students in a moment, but there are people that have already gone through, many people listening, that have already gone through the education system. Their educational career is they, you know, more or less finished, uh, and they're working in many of these jobs that are going to be impacted uh, by robotics. They may be displaced by robotics. They're not in high school. Uh, so what do they do? And this is, this is one of the big challenges that are going to be, is going to be facing the world and certainly North America. I believe I, I saw some forecasts that were $43 billion to try to reskill the people that are going to need reskilling and that the workforce could only profitably reskill 25% of people. Right? So we're, we're looking at a real crunch here. And if educators think they don't have money to put into education today, where are they going to find $43 billion to reskill the people losing their jobs? Right. So now it has to happen. But my advice to everybody who is, you know, listening to this program and maybe a little bit fearful about their future, there, you do have a place in the future. Every, everybody can learn this stuff. The first thing you need to do is recognize that you don't have to be a roboticist at the end of your journey, and you certainly don't have to be a roboticist at the start of your journey. Number one step people can take is get online, do searches to see how technology is going to impact your career because you have to know if you're on the clock, right? And then after that, I would say it's important to understand that it doesn't matter what age you are. Everybody starts at the start, right? If you're 40 years old or 50 years old and you're trying to learn French, you don't start by writing a thesis in French. You start with the word bonjour, right? Where, so the, the number one thing people can do is they can pick up online coding courses. They can buy you know, um, entry-level robotics products that are easy enough for children to learn, and they can feel great about starting there. And if they have kids, they can learn it with their kids, and it's an awesome bonding experience, and both of them are getting upskilled. The World Economic Forum released a survey in 2018 that said by 2022, 50%, sorry, 54% of adults were going to need significant upskilling and retraining to remain competitive in the workforce. 54% over a four-year period. And by and large, the vast majority of adults I know have done no upskilling and retraining. Some have, but the majority of us haven't. And COVID is, is a big accelerator for this. So, you know, the big thing as well is to know that you're going to be uncomfortable and you're going to feel like you don't know anything initially, but that's okay. That's where we all started. You know, eight years ago, I wasn't doing any of this. <laughs> and, and, you know, and, and, now I'm impacting thousands of children each year, tens of thousands, and thousands so, of adults. So uh, let's just spend a few minutes. We have about six minutes here. Let's spend a, a little bit of time explaining what robots.education uh, does and how you go into the schools, how people, how, how educators can invite you to go into the schools and some of the grants and programs available. Perfect. Okay, so... The number one most important thing we do is we've talked about a lot of topics here today. Um, you know, one of the biggest challenges that we're facing is a lack of understanding of what's coming. And, you know, I, I always do polls at my conferences and I've talked to 20,000 educators and I ask them the question, do you feel like you understand the impact robotics and AI is going to have on the future and feel like you know what you need to do? And the number of people who have, who have, indicated by their, you know, by their own judging, not this isn't me judging them, that's them judging themselves, 
number of people who have told me they feel confident and that they know what they need to do is less than 50, which is about one in 400. So we're in the midst of this, the greatest transition in the history of man, and one in 400 people feels like they know where the goalposts are and they know how to get there. So the number one thing we do is free PD. And any school can contact us, and we will give them free PD. You know, uh, we used to do a lot, a lot of it in person. Still, sometimes we can. But with COVID, sometimes it's going to need to be uh, online. But that's fine. We've done it with hundreds of schools. You said PD, so professional development professional development for teachers. For teachers. Yeah. And, you know, what I would also say is if there's parents out there and you've got kids, go into your schools and talk to the schools. Find out if they're teaching robotics and coding and 3D printing. Do they understand those technologies? And if you don't feel that they're super aware, connect us with them. Because, you know, all we have to do is give people a little bit of information, and then they can start to go down the right path. So the free PD professional development is the big one. We also offer free robotics training for teachers, and we offer free student sessions, robotic sessions that are interactive where the kids can come up and program the robots. And, you know, I've talked to schools, parent associations. The goal is we want the educators to understand where we need to go. We want the children to be excited about going there. We want the parents to understand where we need to go. And when we do that, we get culture change, and we can do great things in a very short period of time. Now, one of the other things we do is we offer demo robots to schools. If they're interested in teaching robotics, they can contact us. We may be able to send a robot or a a small number of robots into each school where they can get literate with it and start to get comfortable. And then we'll also give them training and stuff with that. So we've got a huge range of free options for schools to try to help bring them along. Uh, Last year, we had a coding grant where uh, we were giving free coding away to 4,000 schools. Uh, And this is comprehensive coding education, 300 hours of coding education. And we're trying to put that back in place again this year. I, I, I can't confirm today that that's there, but it likely will be. But we've got coding solutions where schools can bring coding into the you know, for all of their kids, for as little as a dollar fifty per student. And now if you think about, okay, it's a dollar fifty per student per year, and my, my child is going to be in school for eight years, you know, learning this, we're talking about $20. And your children can get a coding education. These solutions are not expensive. Putting robotics into a school ends up being between 10 and $20 per student. So they're they're not expensive if, if you're if you're selecting the right solutions, and you know you're you're implementing them correctly. So we help schools do that as well. So again, educators should log on to robots.education, and there's a contact page there, and reach out. Yeah, and I guess one more thing I'd throw out there is, you know, if there are influencers out there, either at the government level or social, even on social media or philanthropists out there, I would invite them to contact us as well. We are very open to collaboration and finding solutions, you know, for everybody here. It's not just about trying to raise up our engineering-minded or our students that are in the wealthiest neighborhoods. It's about trying to raise everybody up because we have to get through this as humanity. All right, I have uh, a number of questions lined up from our YouTube live chat, and uh, we'll get to those when we come back. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Don't go away. 
You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. All right. Uh, I'm going to go to the YouTube live chat here. And Art by Sid, one of our regulars, asks, have there been any recent public polls done by you, Dennis, asking people if they want more AI in their daily lives? Also, do you think due to COVID-19, will more people embrace AI? We have not conducted any polls pertaining to the interest that people have with AI. And I think that if we did, you know, from all of my discussion, people would be at this point a little afraid of it by and large, but there's AI all around us that we're not really thinking of it, or at least there's, you know, there's intelligent machines coming all around us. So the public would be mostly afraid of it at this point, And that's due to the spectacular nature of movies like Terminator and, and the like. Certainly there will be a segment of, of society that feels safer around machines than people with regards to COVID. But there's one thing that is undeniable, and that's the fact that COVID has accelerated the use of robotics and AI and will continue to accelerate it. So all of the forecasts that we had, those were all based on reasonable and known expectations at the time. We didn't think at those times when we were putting those forecasts together that we would see something that would be as game-changing as COVID. All right. Uh, Roger Vega asks, do you believe AI will in any way enable us to harness free energy or will we still depend on the oil and gas cartels? I think that certainly we will make energy increasingly available, free, uh, certainly possibly. But I believe that that's probably a ways off, truly. We're going to discover there's things we don't know that we don't know pertaining to alternative energy sources. Certainly, I want to see us pushing in those areas, but there's going to be a lot of challenges. I think we're going to be looking at using oil and gas for a decent amount of time for a significant portion of our energy. And I think that, you know, we need to be pushing as hard as we can towards truly clean energy, because a lot of things that are advertised as clean are not that clean. Right. Of course, inside assembly plants, uh, and I'm thinking of you know, robotics or robots assembling uh, self-driving cars, etc. You don't have to worry about setting the thermostat at a comfortable level. I mean, there. in other words, there are huge savings here, I can see. You're not paying for overtime. You're not doing double time and a half on stat holidays. There's no legacy costs in terms of pensions. Will these savings, will they be brought down to the consumer? Potentially to a degree. That's a real tough one to answer because we have to understand that so many things are going to change simultaneously. You know, I remember back to reading an article eight years ago, you know, or seven years ago, where Bill Gates was talking to presidents, telling them we need to start taxing robots, right? The, <laughs> the government, if they're going to continue to offer social programs, needs to pull that revenue from somewhere. So then you start talking about, okay, well, do we tax robots? Is there increased tariffs? There's a lot of different possible ways that the economy and the whole, the whole business of doing business it's all going to need to change. And again, this goes back to why everybody needs to understand this, because if our government officials don't understand this, we're going to be in trouble. All right, let's go to the phones. Nick is joining us uh, tonight, this morning from Ohio. Nick from the Buckeyes State. Welcome. Hey, Dennis, I wanted to ask you, uh, I know you had earlier mentioned certain things will be harder for the AI to replace, you know, like plumbing, for example. How long do you think it is until, you know, robots, replace someone who's you know, swinging a hammer or does it even get to that do they just 
you know, with the 3D printing and all that, does it just skip that and it's not even something that happens? Well, so the, I guess the first thing is 3D printing of houses is not mainstream at this point in time, um, but it's it's picking up steam. And so I would say that we can expect, you know, the the construction of some houses to change. You know, where I am, my house is made of wood. Now they could prefabricate walls and put those up and stuff. And a lot of that type of thing is happening already to try to bring the cost down. So certainly my my feeling on that would be a lot of those jobs are already being displaced and historically, you know, have been getting displaced for a period of time, but they are going to be increasingly so. So, you know, if I was, if I was, you know, if, if you're somebody who swings a hammer building houses, my advice to you would be start looking and you've maybe got a period of two years, five years, seven years, but at a minimum, if you upgrade your skills, you've got a more robust and probably a higher paying future. And if you don't, then, you know, and you're caught at, at the 11th hour, then things become much tougher. So the right time mm-hmm. to start is always today. So let's suppose Nick wants to start today and he wants to f- find out about coding or, you know, rob- robotics, and he, he logs on to robots.education. W- then what does he do? What's the next step? Can he enroll in a, cor- a course in coding? Yeah, so we've, you know, we're we are not a government organization. I guess is something I would clarify. We are a private company. We just tend to run like a, a nonprofit or a charity because of the free stuff that we do. But we've got a number of products on our website that are the most approachable and best products for different age groups. And what I would say is, somebody who's looking at wanting to learn coding. Um, we've got a piece of software on there called RoboGarden, which is an excellent coding education. Um, it's about 300 hours of coding. If he wants to learn robotics, and you know, and, and even RoboGarden, you can tell by the name, is geared towards teaching people coding from the perspective of robotics. Um, but if he wanted to learn robotics, a great place to start would be with the Easy Robot platform. It, there's in the range of 70 or 80 free tutorials on the website. And it really is something that people can pick up and they can just start working through and starting to learn things and understand it. And then from there, if, you know, if you're finding that you like it, I would say look for, look for courses with experts in your area where you can get that, you know, that last 20 or 30% that will get you the jobs that, you know, that are the good-paying jobs. Nick, thanks for the call. Uh, let's see. Uh, le- level Level Inc. asks, you keep saying kids need to have robotics literacy. What can we do as parents when we don't control the public school curriculum? Excellent question. Excellent question. And this, and this is really the challenge that we're facing. You know, in, in, in lots of countries, coding is mandatory. In the province of B.C., um, it, it became mandatory a couple of years ago, but it's still going through some growing pains. Uh, in Alberta, not mandatory at this point in time. There's, you know, and different provinces and states are moving along at different speeds. So the big thing to do, I would say, is talk to your school and find out what their plans are, how they're addressing this. And, you know, my advice would be if you're if you feel that your school really is not moving on this, uh, and this is going to sound harsh, so I apologize for it. I would recommend changing schools. And 
the, the education is too important for your kids. If they miss out on this, they're going to be so disadvantaged. Now, a lot of schools will say they don't have budget. They don't know. They don't have the teachers that will teach it. We have solutions to help people work through all of those things if they contact us, right? So we, we help with the PD. We help with the training. I've helped a number of schools find the money to put robotics into their schools, and it's, it's quite cost-effective. So really what it comes down to is it's not part of the core curriculum in many, many places right now in North America, which is a big problem. So we need to bring it to the, you know, to, to the kids in the most engaging way possible to get as many of them to take voluntary courses as we can. Uh, I think we have time for Thinker asks, does Dennis have any information on advanced NASA or DARPA advanced robot technology or applications? And what's the difference between programming a bot in a virtual world and a real world robot? Okay, so I, d- I don't have specific knowledge pertaining to what NASA or DARPA might be up to at this exact time. Um, I've, I've got no inside secrets that I can share. <laughs> uh, but with regards to programming a, a, a bot virtually or online uh, versus a real one, from an engagement level, if, if we're talking about students or adults that are, that are contemplating learning this, if you have the robot you know, on the desk or on the table in front of you, the level of engagement is massively, massively higher. Um, getting that real-time feedback is huge. And, you know, when I'm doing presentations for kids, I talk to my robot and he responds. I say, you know, J.D., show me how strong you are. And he starts doing push-ups. And the instant he does that, you can hear all the desks move and everybody's, you know, kind of now they're paying attention to the presentation. And I say, what else can you do? And he does a headstand. And it's the kids that can program all these things. So if you're dealing with if you're dealing with a physical robot, from a, again, from an engagement perspective, the, the children and adults will build an emotional uh, connection with the robot, which might sound a little bit creepy, but it's really, really excellent <laughs> for engagement. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. Different views make great conversation. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Uh, before the break, Dennis, you were going to share a, a story, and I, I think this had to do with uh, sort of student engagement with robotics. Yeah, this, this, one, this one's a personal one. I, when I was first uh, starting to learn robotics myself, I had a, one of the humanoid robots at home, and I had programmed it to do the push-ups and respond to my voice. So I showed it to my daughter, and I said, you know, J.D., show me how strong you are. Same thing I always do. And she was so blown away by it, she, as soon as it, was, it stood back up, she picked it up and gave it a big hug and said, good job, J.D., good job, girl. And <laughs> at that time, my sons were like, that's not a girl robot, that's a boy robot. And I was, you know, and while they were bickering, I was just sitting there with my head in my hand going, oh, my God, my daughter's in love with a robot. Because <laughs> <laughs> I had just finished watching some AI show. And, you know, and I was I was... I, w- I was sitting there and I was taken aback for a little bit. And then, you know, a couple hours passed and I was like, wait a second. Your daughter thought the robot was awesome. You can use that, that emotional connection to bring all kinds of STEM education to her. And so, you know, that's the kind of impact that we see when, when the kids are working with a physical robot. So if, you know, if we're talking about an adult that's looking at getting an education, you can use uh, software that has got a virtual robot and stuff in it, and you can still get all of the same education and lessons, but you won't see the same high level of engagement. 
Right. You um, you told me a story the last time we spoke that involved you uh, some students that were totally engaged uh, with w- what you were teaching them, and then you found out something quite interesting about these students. Do you remember that story? Yeah. So this was I had I had been asked to uh, teach a week long robotics course at a small town in Alberta. And uh, they were having something called experiential learning week. So the kids could pick whatever subject matter they were interested in. They would bring an expert in and all the kids would get you know, 35 hours straight of, of school time learning that one thing or doing that one thing. So the bakers were baking. So I had a group of kids that wanted to learn robotics. And, of course, it was all boys because they said, who wants to learn robotics? And no girls put their hand up. But over the span of the week, 10 or 15 or 20 girls came into the library and they would all stop and just watch these boys programming these humanoid robots and these spider robots. But in particular, the humanoid robot really caught the girl's attention. And so I would go over and I'd say, hey, would you be interested in learning to program this? And every single one of them said yes. Right? So they were all interested in learning robotics with the, with the equipment that we were using. They just thought that robotics was something different because of what it historically has been. But a really cool thing happened to me at the end of the second day. So I've got 15 boys from grade 7 to 12, all learning robotics. End of the second day, I, I took the supervising teacher aside, and I said, I am blown away by your kids. It's been two straight days of learning nothing but robotics, which is very cerebral. And I'm like, it's been two days, and your kids are still laser-focused. And his comment back to me was awesome. He said, you don't even know the half of it. These are the kids that are failing or are nearly failing. They don't bother showing up for school, and if they come, they tell the teacher you know, where to go and walk out of the class. Those are the kids you have here, and I didn't tell you that before you came because I was afraid that you might not come. And my response was, you know, thank you so much for not telling me because I might have come in with some preconceived notions, but here we had a group of 15 kids that would have been considered at risk you know, the, this, the, the teachers in this school would have said, you know, are challenging to varying degrees. And I thought that they had cherry-picked the grade-A students for me. They were all achieving at a high level. They were all super engaged. And at the end of it, the school did a focus group and asked those 15 boys what they would be interested in, again, if they ran another, you know, experiential learning week. And 14 said robotics and one said rocketry. Now, imagine... imagine the paradigm there where you've got a bunch of kids that are on the brink of or high risk of of dropping out of school or not performing well. And those kids have a great future and it's robotics. It's going to be the fastest growing industry in the world. It's and and the number of times we've had that exact type of experience. I, I, I just can't even tell you it's virtually every time. All right. Equality seven, two, five, two, one. I don't know if that's a robot or not. Equality seven, two, five, two, one asks if robotics replaces humanity, what place does humanity have in the future? There's the big one. There's a question I love to ask kids. And when we wrote our robotics curriculum, we made it, we put ethics in there and morals and stuff. And we started to ask some tough questions because we want the kids to start thinking about them. And I want to put a question out there that is, is kind of shows how slippery the slope is. And the question that I ask is, okay, imagine that you know, each of you got in, into an accident and your hand got amputated. And you, know, you could get a robotic hand that you could connect to your brain, and that would you know, allow you to use your hand. 
who thinks that would be a great idea? And everybody will put their hand up. And I'll say, okay, well, now imagine that you've got your, your forearm amputated, so from the elbow up, and now you've got a, a robotic forearm in hand. Still a good idea? Everybody says yes. I'm like, okay, well, imagine that there's hydraulics in there, and that hand is 50 times stronger than a human hand. Still a good idea? And now people are like, wait a second, I don't have one of those hands. I'm disadvantaged. And then I, and then I, I drop the big one. I'm like, okay, what happens now if someone says, I've got one of these super, super robotic hands, and I want a second one? And they choose to have their arm amputated to get a super strong robotic arm. And at that point in time, everybody's convinced that that's the wrong thing for us to do. So we've gone from, of course, it's totally obvious to, no, absolutely, we shouldn't be doing this. And nothing has changed. We've got the same data. So we're, you know, humanity is in for some real tough questions in terms of what should we, we be, what should we be doing? And, you know, the top thinkers in, in the space of AI and stuff, you look at Elon Musk and, you know, his biggest concern is what happens with AI. He's got an AI company. <laughs> he's got a, you know, a, he's got Neuralink. And, and he looks at this and he goes, we have to be ready for this because it is going to be a large question. You know, all the things that we've been talking about, the big, the, the, the big impacts to the world that we're going to see in the next decade, None of those involve the science fiction aspect of robotics and AI. Those are all the generic vanilla things that are already started to happen, and it's still already the biggest thing. All right, so we've got to take a, a quick time out. Humanity uh, aspect. Dennis? You bet. All right, we'll uh, take a quick time out, come back, finish up with Dennis Combites and your calls and questions right here on The Conspiracy Show. Shaking the world and seeing what falls. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. What about broadcasters, Dennis? Am I going to be replaced by a robot or artificial intelligence? No, nah, Richard, nobody can replace you. <laughs> you you <laughs> ask <those> questions. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, no, again, there will be an algorithm for that, no? Well, they, they, they could put stuff in it. You, so much... So much of what you do is the human touch and the interaction and, and sensing inflections in voice. And, you know, that those are going to be things that are going to be very difficult for AI to pick up on, I believe. The military. Uh, I mean, we already have uh, drones, but they're tethered to a human. He, that human could be thousands of miles away. But But how soon do you think before robots will be fighting our battles on the battlefield and they will be untethered from humans. In other words, again, algorithms will be making these decisions, when to shoot, when not to. I'd, I'd really like to hope that we don't see that day. I don't, I don't want that to be a decision for a machine to make. Um, will it happen? It, it, it's possible. It's certainly more likely to happen if we have... Um, if we don't have the public having a strong voice and a strong understanding. You know, the, this goes back to the whole humanities question. And I am a big, you know, I, I, I work in robotics, but I am a massive humanitarian. And I really want, you know, I want to preserve the human experience. And um, I certainly don't want to preserve human casualties in war, but I'd like to think that we can find solutions that are not war. Hopefully, in the future, you know, as, as technology improves and 
you know, medical advancements happen, you know, the, the potential is there for us to really reach a spectacular place as mankind, you know, with, with abundance for all, you know, and I'd, I'd like to think that that's where we'll end up. And certainly if that's, if that's the direction humanity wants to end up in and enough people that have that vision also have the skills to make that happen, then that's where we'll end up. Yeah, in, getting back to the education for a moment, in terms of coding and robotics, do you have to have a strong background or a strong grasp of math in order to code? It, it certainly helps. Math and robotics or, or coding um, go together. It's critical thinking. It's you know reverse engineering and, and breaking down complex problems into simple problems. Um, it's one of the things I love about robotics within the education space. It's kind of the, you know, the, the the hub for all education. You've got your science in there. You've got your physics. You can put your chemistry in there. Your biology in, in comparison, comparing the technology to to mankind. But the math is a big one, and it's interesting. We've worked with somebody who does tutoring for people that are visually spatially impaired. And the way that we teach robotics, she has used that when she's tutoring kids. And what she says is, and this is somebody who's got a double doctorate in education, uh, in math and learning environment, I believe. And her comment was the difference that in, in people's visual spatial skills over the span of just a week is enormous. Because you're looking at a robot and you're adjusting angles. You're looking at, okay, this is what a 45-degree angle looks like. And then you're rotating that on an axis. And because the kids are seeing it happen in front of their eyes in real time, they start to be able to build those mapways. And apparently there is science or studies out there that show that strong visual spatial skills are kind of the foundation for math, as math is the foundation for other things. So robotics and math go together hugely, hugely. What... What percentage, I've, I've heard the number, but I can't remember it, uh, what percentage of, of jobs for this new robot economy have not even been invented yet, have not even been thought of yet? I, I don't have a number on that. That's, that's, honestly, that's tough to pin. Millions and tens of millions of them. You know, it, there are, you know, one of the things that is always so tough with making forecasts like this are we we make the forecasts under the paradigm that we visualize things you know for example if we just said okay can a robot drive a car people would have visualized a humanoid robot sitting in a car driving it they wouldn't visualize that the car is the robot right so there what will end up happening is there's always a paradigm change that happens there's like a little a little twist and then everything changes from that point on I would say there will be tens of millions of jobs coming that we don't know what they are yet. The, you, you mentioned 3D printers. Um, yeah. And I'm just wondering whether that – one of the things I talk about on this program a lot are, are the forces of globalism versus the nation state. And uh, people talk about economic nationalism and, and so forth, protecting – you know, um, America first or Canada first, etc. Um, do you think that robotics, automation, especially things like 3D printers, which will totally disrupt the, the, the supply chain, we don't have to worry about 
uh, long-distance supply chains anymore. Do you think that that could spell the end of globalism? I don't think so. And part of the reason is, you know, I, I, okay, I saw a video um, earlier today on LinkedIn about a robot that was stocking um, pop or, or, or beverages anyways into a fridge. And that was on the left side of the screen. On the right side of the screen was somebody with a VR headset and hand, you know, hand controls. And they were controlling the robot, you know, apparently from five miles away. So we start to look at things like that. And then, you know, we start to go, okay, now, if that could happen from five miles, it could happen from 5,000 miles. And now you start to go, okay, what happens with, you know, the robots that are, Robots are good at 80 to 90% of a task, and that last 10%, if that's being done by people, you know, what what do we pay our people here versus what are they paid in India or Asia or South America, right? So then I guess this is a, that's a comment that, you know, we may see more nationalism and, again, closing of borders or whatever, but we have to start thinking about whole new taxation structures. But I do think that globalization exists because you know, cost of goods, are less if we're if we're globalized, and that's going to be important when people start to, you know, start to experience higher levels of unemployment. Right? It's it's really hard to put up the barriers, although that may be what some countries try to do. In the eighties, you know, Steve Jobs. Uh, goal was to have you know a computer in an Apple computer in everyone's home. Um. I mean, I know to a certain extent we all have uh, some some form of robotics in our home, but I'm talking about a sort of a personal assistant type robot. Uh, how soon do you see that happening when everyone, it'll just be another appliance in, the, in their house, will have a personal assistant robot to do the heavy lifting? I would say, well, you know, there are companies that are out there advertising those already. The ones that I've seen are not ready. I would say we're probably five to ten years from that. But we will start seeing things like robotic chefs, like, you know, uh, single-use robots and stuff in houses before that, for sure. Uh, again, Dennis, how do people get a hold of, uh, of you at robots.education, maybe uh, educators, schools, if they want to, uh, to find out more, how they can maybe apply for a grant to start teaching uh, coding and so forth? They can, on our, on our website, they can, um, we've got the contact button, and if they are inquiring about any of the programs that we have, those will go to the appropriate person. I, I see a lot of them myself. Um, and we'll get back to people. We do get back to everybody that contacts us. Uh, and usually, although I'm not sure what the impact of this program may be, <laughs> it may, may slow us down a little bit, but we, we, we usually get back to people within 48 hours. And, you know, I've done, I've done a bunch, a bunch of, you know, phone calls and stuff, even with just individual people that are curious and are looking at trying to start robotics programs in their own cities or towns, they're saying, we, you know, we don't have any adequate resources here, but I'm interested and willing to pick up the ball and, and do what I can. And we've worked with those people, again, with no robotics experience and help them grow businesses teaching robotics. So anybody that is looking to try to, you know, impact their, their towns or cities or counties, uh, we're certainly happy to talk with them. And there's a range of different options we can bring. 
robots.education. Dennis, a real pleasure. Thank you so much. Very enlightening. Thank you, Richard. Appreciate the time. Have a great night. You too. All right, my thanks to Carlos Cagina and Ryan White. Back next week, of course, the anniversary of 9-11 with Morgan Reynolds from nomoregames.net and Dr. Judy Wood, the author of Where Did the Towers Go? In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. What I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite, I'm coming home.